Hello, I am Donna Freeman, the founder of Yoga in My School, and this is the Yoga in My School podcast. I appreciate you coming and having a listen. Thank you for your likes, your shares, your comments, and your ratings. It truly is a blessing as it helps others to find us. The purpose of the Yoga in My School podcast is to empower you to share yoga and mindfulness with youth. Through the archives and this episode in particular, I know that you will receive inspiration, knowledge, and tools to help you do so. We also are big fans of building community, and we love finding people who are doing amazing things in the kids' yoga community worldwide. So if you know of someone, or maybe you are someone, who are doing something incredible and you'd like to share it, feel free to reach out. You can email me, Donna, at yoganmyschool.com with ideas for upcoming episodes. Appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful day, and enjoy this episode. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Donna Freeman of yogainmyschool.com, and you've joined me today for the episode, The Journey to Publishing a Yoga Book. I hope you will enjoy my personal story as I've come to publish Once Upon a Pose, A Guide to Yoga Adventure Stories for Children. So to begin with, you have to understand that the original idea for this book came from a workshop participant at the Palliser Teachers Convention in 2008. But to truly arrive at the very beginning, we need to backtrack a number of years to 1997. In 1997, my husband and I moved to Cape Town, South Africa, so that he could pursue a master's degree at UCT, the University of Cape Town. I got a job as an accountant in a local printing company, even though my background and training was as a teacher. But in Cape Town, they weren't hiring any teachers at that uh, time, so an accounting job was what I got to do. A few weeks after we'd arrived, we learned we were expecting the birth of our first child. It was just wonderful, and we were thrilled, a little scared being far from home, but knew that all would be well. So I found a doctor who was a lovely, old-fashioned Jewish gentleman. And he insisted that I stop running. He didn't believe that that was a healthy activity to do when you were expecting. And he said I could walk as much as I want or do other non-jarring or impact-related activities. So luckily, there was a yoga studio just down the street from our flat in Seapoint. And since I've always wanted to try yoga, I signed up for a class. To make a long story short, I loved yoga from the very first. My teacher in Cape Town was amazing and inspiring. I was actually attending an Iyengar class, and I had no idea what Iyengar even meant or really how to say it at that point. I just knew that I felt better after the class than I did before. And I really wish that I could go back and tell that instructor the impact that she's had on my life over the past 13 years because it truly has been quite tremendous. So a couple of years later, I received a subscription to Yoga Journal as a Christmas present. I remember poring over each issue and devouring every article, and I even read, I think, every single one of the classified ads in the back. And there was lots in there. I just, I loved it. And 
then I started to notice all of the ads to sign up to become a yoga instructor. I went, hmm, that sounds kind of neat. Well, I'm a teacher and I do yoga and, hmm, I bet you I could do that. And since I had returned to Canada by this time and I'd been living here for a while, I hadn't really been able to find a teacher who I clicked with as much as my first one. Um, no one was as knowledgeable and there wasn't a class schedule that really fit life with small children such as I had. So I had begun to rely on my local library, on videos that I had purchased, on books, um, and the occasional class to maintain my yoga practice. And I was getting pretty darn good at sun salutations. And, you know, Rodney Yee and I were like on a first name basis, even though he has no idea that that's the case. Um, but uh, I was doing pretty good and not a lot was being challenged. So I thought that becoming a yoga instructor would, would be a challenge and it would really improve my practice and deepen my understanding of yoga. So it took two years to get my yoga certification. And by that time, my oldest was now in kindergarten. And one day when I was volunteering in his class, they had a substitute teacher. Now, included in the day's schedule was 30 minutes of gym time. The sub had no idea what to do with 22 five-year-olds. Now, you have to understand that 16 of these kids were rambunctious boys, and a couple of them had special needs and had lots of difficulty staying still, focusing and staying on task, and in um, keeping to their own personal space. They really liked to... Uh, in everyone else's space. So she looked at me and I said to her, well, how about we do some yoga? She was like, oh, please, please. So I got the kids to sit down and I led them through a yoga story. It was pretty basic. It was just a number of animal poses kind of linked together. I think we visited the zoo or something because it was the easiest thing that I could just kind of create on the spot. And we had so much fun. When we were finished, everyone got back to the classroom. We were relaxed and refreshed. We'd worked out some of the wiggles, and they'd taken time to de-stress. And a light bulb went on in my brain, and I could see the application of yoga in the classroom and the huge demand from teachers and parents to use yoga with their kids. Before this, I'd done it with my kids a little bit, but you know, the light bulb hadn't actually turned on, and this was that moment. Since I was a teacher, and I am a teacher, I knew that the typical adult class that I was used to would have little application to kids. Because you see, if you've ever attended a yoga class, you know that they are generally quiet and serene. They... The poses follow the basic pattern. They warm you up. They work you various various muscles, various areas of the body, and then you have a cooling session and relaxation. And most adults are very involved in a highly personal way with their practice. They're focused within, and I'm following the instructor's guidance, you know, opening, engaging, watching their alignment, remembering to breathe. There's lots of concentration happening in a yoga class, and there's not a lot of chit-chat or rambunctious behavior. Not the case with children's classes. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. When you, while you're still following the basic pattern, you're warming them up and working them and cooling them off, 
children's classes are not quiet. They are rarely serene. And they are generally filled with wonder, exploration, laughter, spontaneity, and fun. So that being the case, I began to develop some yoga adventure stories that would engage children's imaginations and keep them focused and on task. There was always a framework for a variety of child-friendly yoga poses. And they would follow along, you know, I'd take my theme, whatever it would be, and kind of throw some things in. Oh, that works there, and this I can put here. And, and we, I, I developed them kind of as, as I went along, as the need was required. Once I'd used them with a number of kids' classes, um, I realized that teachers needed this information and that yoga was essential to bring into our schools. And so I started teaching workshops at teachers' conventions throughout Alberta, Canada. And so finally that kind of brings us back to the beginning of Once Upon a Pose. When in February of 2008, at the Palliser Teachers' Convention, I was presenting the idea of yoga adventure stories to a group of 100 teachers. They loved the idea, and they wanted to know where to go for more information. They, they couldn't get enough information on this topic. So I showed them the resources which were currently available for teaching kids yoga, and which I had used in developing a lot of the stories I had and the way in which I present. And some of these included um, Kids Love Yoga by Mary Kay Kriskis and Storytime Yoga by Sydney Sully and also Marsha Wenig's work uh, with Yoga Kids. So, and those among others. And so I had these um, for display and I was telling them kind of which age groups various books were good for. But then I said, but none of these really do the same thing as what I presented to you. You know, I, I do it in a way that's quite unique, so I hope you took notes. And if you have questions, you know, email me. Well, somebody in the back of the room put up their hand and said, would you please write something so that we can use it in our classrooms? I went, hmm, interesting. And that was right at the end of the workshop that day, which was right at the end of the day. And I clearly remember telling my sister about the suggestion as she picked me up outside the conference center. She thought it was fantastic. And she had so much energy for the idea. And, you know, she just knew that it was going to, to happen. And she kept throwing ideas at me throughout our ride to her place and throughout the rest of my stay there that weekend. And, and then I let the idea drop. Because like most good ideas, this one needed time to germinate. It needed just time to rest. And pretty much for me to wrap my mind around it, and around the enormity of the task, and, and even if I was possibly capable of doing such a thing. Because I'd never had any desire to write a book. Like, really? Why? I'm not a writer. I, why would I want to do that? Um, and... And so it took about six months that I thought about it 
and just kind of let it percolate there for a bit. I continued to teach yoga in schools and at birthday parties and to adults. And that summer at yoga camp, because I'd been doing yoga camps for kids in the summers, and I developed a number of unique themes. For example, a day at the beach, uh, amazing me out of Africa, etc. And the camp days included yoga poses and stories, crafts, games, and all that good summer camp fun. The kids loved camp. And it gave me the opportunity to extend the creativity of yoga and incorporate other learning methodologies to um, reinforce a certain theme. By the fall of 2008, I was ready to begin. And I started typing up themes and organizing them and searching out commonalities and kind of getting a, a very, at this point, I look back and I think it was a very rough framework for a book. I knew some things that I wanted to put in, things about um, yoga philosophy so that those who had no understanding of yoga could pick up the book and could briefly read through it and go, oh, okay, I, I, I get some of the basic tenets. And others who were well-versed in yoga could dive right in and, and pursue it. And so it had to reach a fairly wide audience because teachers and parents most of them don't have any yoga training. And if they have yoga training, then they don't know how to apply it to kids. So it kind of had to breach both of those, or reach both of those audiences. Okay. By December, I realized that I had a deadline. This had never occurred to me before. But if I wanted to provide a teacher's resource, the best place to introduce it was at teacher's convention. Well, of course, I already do workshops there. In Alberta, that means February. February is Teachers' Convention Month. Every weekend, Teachers' Conventions are held throughout the province. I knew, because it was December, I couldn't do it for the coming year. There's no way I could produce a book in you know, five weeks. But it might be possible by 2010. Hmm. Okay, so then I worked backwards. I got a calendar out. If I needed a book by January of 2010, which is now, okay, if I needed a book by now, then the manuscript had to be at the printers and publishers by the latest September or October of 2009. And that's cutting it really close. So, working backwards again, I had to do revisions and editing the summer of 2009. That means I had to be finished writing by June. Okay, so it's December, and I need to have a book finished in six months. Okay, I knew I wanted about six or seven chapters, and that there would be ten, you know, eight to twelve adventure stories. At the time, I had eight written, and I thought, well, it kind of seems a little hmm, paltry. That's not very many, really. No one's going to pay for eight stories. Come on, I got to write some more. So. I began to get a little concerned. I was already behind because to write a book in six months is a lot of work. So I began getting up early. And I've always been an early riser. But I started to actively use the quiet time before my children got up to write. This was an ideal time for me. 
And before long, I was waking up at 4 and 5 in the morning with my brain absolutely swimming with ideas. Often I would lay in bed for 15, 20 minutes trying to turn it off, and that never worked. So I finally just, when I woke up early, I'd just say, get up, go right. And um, our computer is just in the in the kitchen area, and so it's close enough that if the kids woke up or needed anything that I could hear them, and I would sit and write and write and write. So I tried to write a page a day, and as I wrote, new topics continually kept coming to mind, and I'd start another page and another heading and another heading. And probably about once every two weeks, I'd print off what I'd been working on, and then I'd review them while watching my daughter's basketball practices or waiting in the doctor's office. For some reason, it seemed like we were sick a lot in January, February, and March. I don't know what was going on, but I did a lot of editing and adding in at doctor's offices. In February of 2009, our family went on vacation to Southern California. And this was a great time to get away, and we loved loved exploring Southern California and all that that holds and the many adventures we had there. But I kept grabbing my day timer when we were back at the hotel and writing myself notes. And then on the last morning, again, I woke up early, and I realized that the teachers at my children's school were a terrific resource and that I needed to get some feedback. So, once I was home, I uh, contacted the principal, and I said to him, I, you know, I'm working on this book, and this is the idea, and I'd really appreciate it if you know, the teachers at the school, if any of them would like to you know, bounce ideas around and have kind of a roundtable discussion, and, and get, I, I need some feedback so that it actually meets their needs. You know, I, I can say I, I think I know what they need, all I want, but I actually need to, to talk to some teachers and find out what will be useful in the classroom. So I brought lunch, and they brought their expertise and ideas. And they really liked the idea. They liked bringing yoga into the classroom and, and, and using it in story format and that kind of stuff. But of course they had lots of really good suggestions. Um, the first one was that I needed visuals, lots and lots of visuals. Um, one of the teachers said, she goes, I don't do yoga. I've never done yoga. Um, writing downward dog, that doesn't mean anything to me. Or, you know, do cat pose here. So, well, what, what is cat pose? I don't, I don't understand. And so I knew right away that visuals um, were going to be a huge part of the book. That was their first suggestion. The second one was books and music to tie in with each one of the themes. And of course, that makes sense because that makes it almost like a mini unit uh, and they can take the, the book and lead it into the yoga story and they can add some music and all of a sudden you have this, this enriched learning environment for children. So that made perfect sense to me too. Another one was that certain themes were lacking with my stories. I still had, I think, eight at this time, and certain, maybe I had ten. I can't remember exactly at this point. Certain themes weren't completely represented um, compared to the program of studies. 
And I was fairly familiar with the program of studies. I'd looked it over as I was developing the stories and kind of went, okay, here or there. And they brought, they suggested a few more, um, some science themes and the India theme. And I went, well, of course, India. Well, hello. <laughs> you know, I can't believe that I missed that one. Um, and so they gave me some suggestions. And one that I never, one suggestion that I wasn't able to incorporate was uh, a story on the Ukraine. Uh, for some reason, that just didn't didn't flow easily at any time, and so it didn't get into the book. But it's something that I'm still working on. The last suggestion they had was stories in French. Uh, my children attend a French immersion school, and I have training in in French immersion education. And so one of the teachers said, "Oh, it would be so wonderful." to have these in French so that immersion and French as a second language classes could also use it. Well, I didn't like that idea because that meant huge amounts of work. But I'll get to that in a second. So I started attacking each one of these suggestions. For visuals, I went, oh my goodness, how am I going to lay this out if I need a visual for each pose in each story? My mind couldn't wrap around that for a while until... One evening I was reading comics with my son. And bless Calvin and Hobbes' heart, I just went, well, of course. There's dialogue with a picture in each one of these. All I need to do is copy a comic strip format. Oh, there we go. That's easy. So that's why it's laid out like it is. It was the only way that I could visually see putting the pictures with the text. And that led to photographs, lots and lots of photographs. We spent an entire weekend with our models, taking pictures and having them pose again and again and again. And thank goodness my husband has the patience of Job. And, uh, and also some photography background and was able to, to take those pictures and that our models were so willing to do them to do the yoga poses again and again and again as we would take some pictures and look at them and then make them do them again and then look at them and again until they were they were well done. And uh, so that's how the visuals got in there and I'm and I I think today as I hold the book in my hand that it's the pictures that make the book. It's those kids and bless their hearts they were so wonderful in helping to make Once Upon a Pose uh, a highly useful and um, engaging book. The themes, getting the, the books and the music, the stories and the music to go along with each, each one. Because if you look in the book, at the bottom of each story, there are literary suggestions and music suggestions. It took... A month, a solid month of visiting libraries, iTunes, the Internet, bookstores, and, and dredging through my memory to come up with all of these. I couldn't believe how long it took to come up with them because some themes are really, really tough. You know, some are easy. You know, um, I think one of the easiest ones was The Man on the Moon. You know, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and you don't want to live on the moon. Those are those are fairly easy um, for music suggestions. And music suggestions, um, at least in English, <laughs> were easier than the books. Um, 
I don't know how many visits I took to the library when I would get out you know, 20 to 40 books, go home and read them all, discard all but one. And I would do it again and again and again as I searched and searched for books that, that applied and, and were good for the age groups that from, from preschool to 12, from preschool um, to grade 6 or from age 3 to 12. And, you know, I needed a variety. They couldn't all be the same. They had to cross um, reading abilities and interest abilities and and all those type of things because a 3-year-old is not going to be interested in the same type of book that a 12-year-old is. And so I had to take all that into consideration as I looked for resources that teachers could use. Finally, it all came together, and I swear, thank you, thank you for Slumdog Millionaire because I was totally stumped for the longest time for uh, India-themed music for the French story. There's nothing. <laughs> I, I stumped numerous music teachers trying to say, okay, is there a story about elephants, about crocodiles, about anything in French? No. So if you are a French music person, write one because there's nothing out there. All right. Probably the uh, another thing I had to do was follow the themes and write more stories and develop the themes that were needed. So finally, the biggest challenge I had was the French stories. Um, I cracked out my old Petit Robert and began to translate. For four weeks, I translated stories, and my translations were rough. Oh my goodness, they were rough. <laughs> I needed help. And by May, I started asking for help and asking people, could you please read over this story or these two stories or do this for me? Do you have enough time on this weekend that you could have a look at it? And my translations were so rough that a lot of people looked at them and went, oh my goodness, she needs more than help. I can't do this. It's going to take hours of my life to do this. And I appreciated that. I <laughs> understood. Um, but May went by, and then June went by, and I kept asking people, and July went by, and of course we're in summer now, a lot, not, not a lot of people are around. And August, halfway through August, and, oh, more than halfway through August, almost the end of August, and I was desperate because I knew that I needed to get this book to a publisher soon. And... Thank heaven for Laura and Christian Laplante, who are good friends of mine, and they took pity on me, and I don't know if it was from guilt or friendship, and I didn't care. <laughs> I just knew that Laura agreed to spend hours and days of her life helping me with my translations, and bless her heart for doing so. Because those French stories would not have happened without her. So along with all of this writing and rewriting and editing, the editing continued while the French stories were being done because she, only Lara, could edit those stories. The other editing, other people were reading, and I got um, yoga experts and teachers and curriculum developers and friends and anybody who could, would possibly read it to read through my book. And every time they brought it back to me, there was tons of corrections. But I knew it was getting better every time. And so I kept thinking, all right, I'd rather find the mistakes now 
that after I open it when it's a finished book. And I really appreciate all those people who spent many, many hours reading my book and giving me suggestions and helping me with layout. And, um, and I think from every person who read it, they gave me suggestions that I incorporated and that made the book better. So my name might be on the cover, but it truly took an entire community to make this a reality. Now, there's a whole other side of this that's the publishing side. And in September, I found a publisher, Trafford Publishing. And they were a self-publishing house that published within Canada. And that was a big thing because I didn't want to have to pay international shipping charges for my principal market, which is which Alberta, Canada was where I, I teach and where I work and and where most of the people that I would come in contact with lived there. And so the rest of the world can get to the book, but I wanted it to be sure that you know cross-border shopping wasn't going to be an impediment for Canadian teachers to have it. So I signed with Trafford Publishing, and they print and publish out of Victoria. And of course, I did the great debate between self-publishing or a publishing house, and that's another story for another day. But... Once my manuscript is to Trafford, it would take three months, 90 days, until I had a book in hand. And so that left me with having to have my book to them by Canadian Thanksgiving, which is the second weekend in October. Somehow I made that deadline. I worked like a demon in order to do so, and it went off, and I could breathe. And then it was in the capable hands of the people at Trafford. And they guided me through. They worked on my cover. And they put it together. And, of course, the back and forth, a lot of back and forth. And in the end, my book went online on December 28th. And Once Upon a Pose came into my hands on January 7th of 2010. I hope you will enjoy this book. I hope you will enjoy the resource that it is and will use it and take advantage of all that's in here and enjoy it for what it is Um, because the effort that went into making it was for it to be used and to try and make it easier to bring yoga into classrooms and to homes. I hope that you will check out yogainmyschool.com and find Once Upon a Pose, A Guide to Yoga Adventure Stories for Children, useful to you. Thank you very much. Have a good day.